Well, uh, Paul, uh, I think uh, when we found out in January of this year that Peter Bowles' uh, sample taken in October had produced a positive result to a banned substance, our sort of collective hearts sank a bit, didn't they? Uh, very popular athlete, uh, a real star of the Tokyo Olympics. And it was a great story, wasn't it? Was it was a great story. Uh, and so we were sort of a bit down in the dumps. Well, yesterday the news changed, but it changed in a particularly sort of unclear way for those of us not familiar with the system in as much as Peter came out with a state saying he'd been cleared and he could resume training and uh, then the Australian uh, Integrity Commission or some such body came out and said, not so fast, uh, the suspension is lifted, uh, but it's an atypical result uh, and further investigations are continuing. Uh, there's only one man in Brisbane who can... <laughs> who get can, to the bottom of it, yes. Who can get to the bottom of where we're currently at and whether what has happened is what would normally happen or whether something out of the ordinary has happened here. And it's Tim Fuller from Gaydon's Lawyers. How are you, Tim? Andrew, I'm good. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good. Good. Tell yeah. us where we're at and uh, what's happened and uh, are you uh, unsure or are you a little uncomfortable with what's happened? Um, well, I think, Andrew, your description of the not-so-fast statement is probably, you know, probably very apt because um, despite, you know, Peter... Um, releasing his statement, despite statements made by the West Australian Sports Minister, probably the most important statement here is the one that Sports Integrity Australia have released. And there's reference to an ongoing investigation. So in other words, the investigation is not concluded. Um, there's obviously clarification around Part B sample, and, that, and that's the fact it's a atypical yeah. finding, which in layman's term is an unusual uh, result. And um, they've also, this is, this is quite scary, they've also alluded to the fact that um, potential further anti-doping rule violations could still be issued. So there's still a bit to play out, I think, in this, in this case. Peter is being represented by an American lawyer. He said this would never have happened in the States. He was talking about leaking of information, the positive test from the... A sample and not holding results back to the B sample. But Andrew and I were having a discussion this morning here, Tim, and we always thought that was the process. You were, We would find out someone has tested positive to the A sample and now we await the trials of the B sample. Has has the procedure been followed here? I think, you know, Paul Green's a really, you know, highly accomplished lawyer, has done a lot of work in, in doping cases. But it's possible... Um, the interpretation of our rules, which you know, come under national legislation, they come under regulations under the Act. Um, it's possible that maybe there's been some you know, misunderstanding of that. I think one thing that appears to be clear is that that what he said um, is that the result of the positive A sample was released prior to the athlete receiving his notice. So an athlete normally gets a notice and informs them that they've tested positive to a particular drug and then they present a number of different options to the athlete and one of them of course is as we all know is to have sample b part sample b tested it would appear from what's been reported that it was the the announcement as to the positive a sample was released before that notice now that's that's bad that that's that's a that's not a good thing for um, an athlete to find out through the you know through the media um, or through a coach or friends or whatever it might be um, prior to receiving like you know the notice so if that's the case. That's not good. But look, as far as some of the other, the other things, um, I mean, I mean, there's been already 
hints of um, you know, legal action and so forth. I'm not really sure what, what they're referring to there because one thing is that an athlete, when they sign up to a sport, and it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about, we're talking about athletics here, but we can go across the spectrum and look at any sport, is that athletes consent to the whole process when it comes to doping, that it will be conducted you know, through an arbitration. So the idea that you can go outside the rules and go outside the arbitration process at this stage, you know, I think is incorrect. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that's, that's, there's a bit of confusion around that, like what exactly is being said there. Um, but look, in relation to uh, where we are at um, and this atypical finding, what's really clear from Sports Integrity Australia is that they are going to now um, look further into this and, and look, there's, there's precedent around athletes where A and B samples don't match up and they can still be charged with an anti-doping rule violation. So that's, that's kind of the scary sort of aspect of this, that you know, there still could be a charge um, after an investigation is, is um, completed. Just uh, when they say there's an atypical finding, does that relate solely uh, to what the original drug found was or could they be suggesting there's something else there that they're looking at? That's a good question, Andrew. Um, they can be suggesting a number of things. Um, so analysis of... This is one thing that um, the lawyer has called for. He said we didn't receive any um, you know, documentation, but you normally elect to pay for that documentation after you receive the notice so you're not presented with that you know right from the get-go it's, okay. it's, it's actually quite expensive mm. it's about a $1,200 exercise for athletes so you have to make a choice as an athlete whether you get that documentation or you don't and you've got to pay for it so that seems to be you know correct um, but what that documentation will tell you is as to whether there's been like you know potentially flaws within the laboratory situation or any other information that you know might be um, might be relevant now there's been cases where when the two samples have differed ultimately through more extensive examination than at this stage but through experts and so forth that there's either be a you know flaws in the process with the laboratory or b there's been cases where you know in the case of this drug epo where it's been found that there's been a degradation of the sample b so in other words um, the sample has actually diminished um, in potency and so forth and that's been you know concluded in in cases so you know it's a bit to, it's a bit to play out but but in your in relation to your question that could be the case absolutely tim as far as the testing process it goes so if someone asked the question today now this was a, a positive from the urine test so how are they taken are they taken at the same time do you Yes. Without being too graphic, do you do you fill one <laughs> cylinder and they just pour it into two separate ones, and one's A, one's B, or or how does it happen? Yeah, they well they split the <clears throat> they split the sample pool, so um, that's a good question. Um, it is from the same urine sample provided by the athlete, and then it's basically you know it's basically split. Okay, that's how we get A and B. So the same urine sample is tested on both occasions. Now, one thing we don't know in relation to um, this case is where there was also a blood sample um, taken. I mean, that can be that can be quite common that there's urine and blood taken, especially in um, cases where it's suspected that it might be something like, you know, a drug like EPO. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with Peters. It would have been a standard routine um, sample and, and test that would have been conducted. However, when there are occasions where they suspect you know the use of a particular drug then they will 
they will take urine and blood. And it's the same, the same splitting of the sample. Tim, I mean, as you go in, if I just go into a doctor and go and get an MRI or go and get an X-ray or go and get a scan or whatever it may be, and they say investigations are continuing, the first thing you ask is how long? I mean, is there any obligation yeah. on the testing authorities to get cracking and do it quickly, given what's happened? No. And, and Andrew, what could happen is that so at the moment what they call the results management responsibilities are with Sports Integrity Australia. However, they are able to contact water to determine exactly what steps should be undertaken. So while they're going through investigation at the moment, and that statement we were referring to before has been released to confirm that investigation's ongoing, there could be a stage where they are in contact with WADA and they seek um, you know, advice on the investigative process. So how long could it be? It could be like a significant period of time. Mm. Um, so there's, there's no, there's no you know, rhyme or reason as to how long it may take. There's no obligation for them to be you know, quick about it. The positive thing for Peter is that the provisional suspension has been lifted, so he's able to immediately return you know, to training and have support of his coach and other staff. But, um, you know, to be really clear, the investigation is, is ongoing. It's a, it's a horrible situation to, for a young man to find himself in. Andrew, as we said, it's such a great story. He was going to be apparently the young Australian of the year. Always something going on in the world of sport where law yeah. seems to be involved. Tim, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you as we say sometime next week. Something else from another <laughs> code will will pop up. It's always a pleasure having a chat to you. You are able to explain it in layman's terms. Uh, it's really appreciated, Tim. Thanks again for Thanks, this morning. Guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.